Well, a good Tuesday afternoon, Saskatchewan. Jamie and I with you here on the Green Zone on a very cold day. Uh, shockingly cold. I was so used to the two degrees, minus two degrees, and uh, the car. I leave the garage, and of course, it's like what six degrees or whatever it is, and then it's like turn the corner, minus one. Turn another quarter. The car says minus five. Then you go down; it's minus ten. Then it was minus fifteen, and it, ke- it just kept going. I'm like, whoa, my goodness. Yeah, it's a little chilly one. Haven't had to plug in the car for a while. Made sure to do so that today, uh, so it's all ready to go uh, when we leave work. Uh, but we'll keep you up to date on the weather, as always. Coming up this afternoon, Lisa Tomitis will be here, the coach of the year in Canada West, as well as another Canada West championship for the University of Saskatchewan women's basketball team. And Lisa Tomitis also... Uh, helping out the Germany program now uh, go to the Olympics, of course. Uh, left Canada basketball to go to the German uh, basketball team. They picked her up very quickly after she left the Canadian national team and uh, leading them to the Olympics, but also the U of S Huskies a women's basketball team going to yet another national championship. The Swift Current Broncos, look out, they're red hot. Six straight wins for the Swift Current Broncos. We've been telling you here on the Green Zone for quite some time. Just before Christmas, and then right after Christmas when Connor Geeky got traded to the Swift Current Broncos and Matthew Savoy got traded to the Moose Jaw Warriors, it was get ready for playoff hockey in the province of Saskatchewan in the Western Hockey League. Saskatoon's one, Moose Jaw's three, Swift Current is four. Swift Current just beat Medicine Hat, who's up in the ton near the top of the standings as well. Back-to-back games on their six-game winning streak. Also beat the Moose Jaw Warriors. Have one of the best goaltenders in the WHL in Reed Dick. So, yeah, the Broncos, the Warriors, the Blades, and, of course, the PA Raiders hovering in that playoff conversation as well uh, to get ready for the final month of the WHL season. Their interim head coach, Terrace McEwen, will join us here on the Green Zone. Also, we'll talk some NHL rumors. As the trade deadline is coming up on Friday of next week, March the 8th is Trade Center. And I was bothered by something today. As I'm checking social media, as I often do, and checking the rumor websites for the National Hockey League, because I I love NHL trade rumors, there was one that got my attention thanks to Elliot Friedman and his uh, 32 Thoughts podcast and his column on Sportsnet. And that was this. As the Vancouver Canucks lead the league in the standings, Elliot Friedman is reporting that the Canucks are fielding calls and listening to, apparently, for those teams interested in Elias Peterson. The star forward of the Vancouver Canucks. One of the star forwards, of course, Quinn Hughes is a great defenseman. You have J.T. Miller. Brock Besser is having one of his best years in a long time. They just got Elias Lindholm. 
But Pedersen? Now, a lot of people in Vancouver are saying there's no chance he gets traded. But it is one of those stories in the National Hockey League in a salary cap era you always have to look at. As this young man will soon come due to a contract, are you going to sign him long-term? He wants to stay in Vancouver long-term. And really, when it comes down to our, who are your core three, where do you want to spend your top three salaries on your hockey team? You would think that the Vancouver Canucks have Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes on the list, and then you go from there. And if Elias Pettersson isn't going to be that guy, maybe just maybe you trade him. Now, I don't think they're trading him now. There's no chance you trade him on the way to a Stanley Cup run that's coming up ahead. But it's also that time of year that you also have to be mindful. And this is a public service announcement, okay? This is a public service announcement for all you hockey geeks out there who love, like me, a good NHL trade deadline rumor. Because I love them. There's a certain website I go to every day. Specters Hockey, he breaks down rumors every single day from all the publications that they read. It is, oh, it's a great read every day. But you also have to be mindful of something. And let's push the curtain all the way back here when it comes to sports broadcasters and especially ahead of important days like NHL trade deadline day. Because you know... There are two networks, Sportsnet and TSN, who want you to wake up at 7 a.m. and spend the entire day consuming everything that is coming out of their mouths. From all the different panels, all the different rumors, they go to market, to market, to market, to market, to market on all the reporters on what they're going to do. And lately it's come down to this. Well, that's it for today uh, for the uh, Calgary Flames. No trades to announce. So what happens? Any tiny, maybe true, maybe not rumor, and you throw Elias Pettersson's name at it, it got my attention. You throw that name around, people go, NHL trade deadline day coming up on March 8th? So, take the rumors for what they are. They are rumors. But later on in the show, we're talking about one trade that didn't happen that might still happen and I think is a trade that the New Jersey Devils need to make happen, and that involves the Calgary Flames and goaltender Jacob Markstrom. And we're going to talk to the play-by-play voice, Matt Laughlin, of the New Jersey Devils a little later on to see if this trade can actually come to fruition over the next week and a half ahead of next Friday. But yes, the Toronto Maple Leafs, how many assets do they sell? What can the Edmonton Oilers do? But they have some interesting cap room for the Edmonton Oilers to make a deal. Are the Vancouver Canucks going to make another trade? Maybe along the blue line, not trading away Elias Patterson. But, oh yes, all the rumors will be coming fast and furious Uh, for the National Hockey League. And we'll keep you up to date here on the Green Zone. Also today, we are going to have a debate. Truth or Trash Tuesday. 
And this comes from the story of the 1979-80 box of Opeachy hockey cards that sold at auction for $5 million Canadian. And there are people in this building who think I am completely insane because they love opening up hockey cards. They love the thrill of peeling that pack back and seeing what can be found inside. And with that Opeachy box, I've said it. I'll say it again. I'm not opening it. I would not open it. Producer Scott is already, he's getting mad at me just saying it again. I don't think I'm the only one who would not open that thing. Because there's no guarantee that you are going to have a 10-point Gretzky card. And for those who say, how? These have been untouched in 43 years. How can they not be perfect? Well, you get the grade based on the cut. And the these cards came out in sheets. And how did they get cut? Are the borders perfect? If they're not, they're not a 10-point card. Now, there's going to be hundreds upon hundreds and, yeah, probably into the millions of dollars worth of hockey cards in there. But what bothers me is the gum. There was gum in these things. What is that going to do over the next 40 years of just sitting there? Like, that's... I'm sorry. That's a bit of a concern for me on if you open this thing and, oh, these aren't as pristine as I was hoping. I just think that allure will pull card traders in for generations of what is in there. So, truth or trash Tuesday, I'm not opening it. I wouldn't open it. I'd sit on it for a while and then probably go to sell it, see if I can make uh, seven, eight million dollars off of someone who really, really wants to open those trading cards, like Evan Bray on the Evan Bray Show. He is another one in the building who is just almost comes unglued when I say I'm not opening the box of Opeachy cards because he is a hockey card collector. He brought in his Wayne Gretzky card, his rookie card. Um, It went missing somehow. I don't, I don't know where he... We, who would have uh, taken that? I'm just kidding. But he didn't let that thing go out of his sight as he was handing around the office on that Wayne Gretzky. And it's with the Wayne Gretzky Opeachy, right? That is his rookie card that he has. And he's like, there could be 16 of those in there, and you're not going to open it? He's inviting friends over. He would have a whole party around opening that box of cards. Like, yeah, and then someone spills a beer, and then it's all ruined. What would you do with it, ladies and gentlemen? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Uh we'll uh, debate at three thirty five this afternoon on nine eighty CJME and six fifty CKOM. Jamie and I with you here in the green zone on this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Well, going into the Blue Jays season, uh we have been previewing it as we did with uh, Scott Mitchell of TSN last week ahead of spring training. And all eyes were back on the Blue Jays today. 
because Alec Manoa was making his spring training debut. Now, remember, Alec Manoa was the ace for the Toronto Blue Jays. Young pitcher, up and coming, was outstanding two years ago. He got the opening day start. He sucked last year. It was not good. He got sent down. It was ugly. He was back in spring training. He cut weight. He's working on a new pitch. His velocity is back up into the 90s. So how did he do today? You want the line, Blue Jays fans? You probably don't, actually. You probably don't want to hear what is about to come out of my mouth when it comes to Alec Manoa's spring training debut. One and two-thirds innings pitched. He allowed three hits, four earned runs, one walk, and he hit three batters. So the velocity's up. The control's still not there. Oh, and um, his pitch count today, 38 pitches, 17 of them strikes, 21 balls. I'm no mathematician. That ain't good for Alec Manoa's spring training debut for the Toronto Blue Jays. We had the debate a few weeks ago, will he have a bounce back year? It was almost split on the text line and the calls that came in. Yes, I think he can bounce back. No, I think he's done. I I hope in his second spring training game, he has a little better performance uh, from Alec Manoa. But if you were hoping and thinking like I did, that they really need Alec Manoa to have a bounce-back season, not a good start. Also making his uh, spring training debut today, and there is a great article on The Athletic, about Shohei Otani as he made his debut or making his debut with the L.A. Dodgers today. The article is on the day the Jays signed Shohei Otani. From the entire day, from the reservation of the sushi place on what was going on there in Toronto to the plane to the reports that he was signing in Toronto the day that the Blue Jays didn't sign Shohei Otani. It's a fascinating read on what happened a few weeks, months ago when it came to Otani not landing in Toronto. Instead, it was the guy from Dragon's Den. Jamie and I with you here in the Green Zone. Hope you're having a fantastic Tuesday afternoon. Still coming up, one of the hottest teams in the WHL, the Swift Current Broncos. Interim head coach Terrace McEwen will join us here on the Green Zone as they jump up the standings in the Western Hockey League. Uh, But let's go to the University of Saskatchewan. Another championship for the women's basketball team, Canada West champions. Another Coach of the Year honor for Lisa Tomitis, who joins us now, Elisa, first off, congratulations on both the Canada West title and Coach of the Year. Yeah, thanks so much. So, once again, uh, another great year. Disappointing in the playoffs last year, of course. 19-1 and record as the number 2 ranked team in the country. Um, mm. A lot of success. Uh, how? In a university sport that has so much turnover and graduates and recruiting and everything else, what does Lisa Tomitis do 
that allows the U of S Huskies to continue to see the success they've had? <laughs> oh boy, that's a that's a loaded question there. Um, well, first and foremost, I think we're uh, very lucky to have the student athletes that we do have that we get to work with on a day in and uh, day out basis. Um, I've been very fortunate to have um, consistent assistant coaches. Um, I mean, Jackie Lavalley and Allie Fairbrother have been with me since I started here 25 years ago. It's crazy. They were both student-athletes when I arrived, and, and now they've joined the coaching staff. And so I think that consistency is, uh, is a big part of it. Um, and then, I mean, the support of our of our supporters and our donors. I mean, we're the only team in the country that has a practice facility where we can get in and train at any point in time uh, with the student athletes. And I think it's just a, you know, it's been a a culture of excellence and, um, you know, we get people who want to come here and be part of it and, and do the work that's necessary to to win championships. And so um, we feel really fortunate. And and like I said, well, like you mentioned, it was disappointing last year, but it sure is nice to be back on top. That's for sure. It never gets old. Um, But when you miss out on one, it makes you really makes you appreciate how hard it is to win those championships. Did you see that early this season, before, maybe before even tip-off of the season, uh, on a re-motivated group after what happened to Canada West semifinal last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that semifinal loss was heartbreaking. And, uh, you know, I think the they always say the, the sign of a strong character is what you do when you don't get what you want, right? And we didn't get what we wanted last year, but what do you do with that? Um, and it, it really invigorated and, and motivated our, our student-athletes to work that much harder in the off season, And they came into this season with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. You know, every single game, you said, you know, we're 19-1 and in conference play, but we went undefeated in exhibition play. I think our record might, right now might be 28-1. and um, But it, like, right from the get-go, there was, um, you know, you knew this group was out for redemption and... Um, to make sure that we proved a point right from day one that we were a team that was going to be um, tough to deal with and needed to be reckoned with. So um, you could see it right from the start. Well, when you have uh, leaders like uh, you know Carly on the team, how important are they, as you talked about carrying on the tradition and over and over, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be able to set a standard, have the leaders you know, kind of own the group to bring her along the yeah. new recruits who will be you know, fifth-year seniors in three or four years? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Carly's leadership was um, absolutely instrumental. Her, Gage Graphic, Taya DeMong, they all played really big roles um, in leading by example. And I think for Carly and like an Andy Dodig, who won a national championship and have been to, you know, in Carly's case, this is their fourth Canada West championship out of five seasons. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, you know, as much as it is a standard, it's also a little bit of a burden because when you don't live up to that and you don't bring home the championship, it really it hits hard. Um, but they're able to share, you know, what these championship teams have had to do to win and what it takes to be on the biggest stage and, and perform in the biggest moments. And um, again, a lot of the work is done by them. And so as coaches, it, it makes our life a lot easier, that's for sure, because um, they're just such great leaders and um leading by example what keeps lisa tomitis coming back as you mentioned 25 years <laughs> you gotta love coaching to be able to uh, keep uh, coming back as long as you have i love seeing our student athletes win i love 
helping groups and people do things that maybe they never thought they could accomplish. And really, that's what drives me. Um, just seeing their faces after a championship win, um, you know, that that satisfaction, that relief, that elation after, you know, so many years of hard work, it is it is truly gratifying for me. And uh, it's, it is really what drives me. When, when it comes to coaching uh, in basketball, how much do the X's and O's ever change that much? Or how much of, a, of the tactics yeah. go into just who you have on the floor and what talents they have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely that balance. I think, you know, the game really has evolved over the last few years. Um, you know, the emphasis on the three-point shot, the um, being able to play people all over the court and not just in a you know certain position I think is is one thing and um, you know for me I'm very fortunate to be able to coach at the international level so I kind of get to see some of these trends of early um, early on and so it can kind of be ahead of the curve but then there's also that well there's no sense you know running a system if you don't have the student athletes with the the talent to do so and so yeah the other part of it is then being able to take people and put them in positions where they can succeed and um, not forcing them to fit you know square peg into a round hole so um, yeah that's definitely a big part seeing where we can kind of put people and how they can be successful and and trying to complement their skill set instead of completely change them as as athletes so that's uh that's the fun stuff with coaching is trying to get that figured out Lisa Tomitis joining us, uh, head coach of the University of Saskatchewan women's basketball team, uh, off to try to win another bronze baby national championship. Uh, next week it begins. So what is the process uh, to get them ready now for another U Sports National Final Eight? Yeah, I mean, we have a bit of a luxury um, right now in that we do have a little bit of time off. We're not going directly to Edmonton, you know, tomorrow. So I think first and foremost, we we have some athletes who've played, you know, heavy load and and a lot of a lot of playing time this year. So we got to get them recovered and rested and uh, fresh again. And I think that was um, really played a part this past weekend is that we were fresh going in and and played with a high level of energy. I thought. So, yeah, we'll recover. We want to take a look at some things that we did really well this past weekend and um, not too much prep yet in terms of knowing who we might be facing. So we'll have to wait a few more days for that before the picture starts to become a little bit clearer. And, you know, like, as always, there's always stuff to improve upon. There's always things we can do better. So we'll get back to the grind here um, in the next day or so and and kind of refocus i think right now academics is a high priority catching up from the days we missed last week and and preparing for the days we're going to miss next week a blessing that it's pretty much you can say down the highway rather than flying across the country (laughs) yeah absolutely we're pretty happy that it's it's going to be in edmonton i think we're going to have a great fan base that's going to come up there and um yeah so it'll be a lot of fun and not having to travel too far certainly helps Lisa Tomitis uh, with us, of course, the U of S uh, Huskies women's basketball team off to the national championship starting next week in Edmonton. Uh, I'm going to ask you to put your Germany hat on for a little bit. Um, (laughs) What has that experience been like over, well, it's less than a year, but over the last couple of months uh, to see that program grow? And what do you learn from making the change uh, from the uh, national women's team in Canada and try to experience what you got in Germany? Yeah, you know, I've absolutely loved it. Um, every every bit of it has been so much fun. Um, kind of took took on the role last year with the thoughts of it just being a five-week commitment, um, helping this team get through the European Championships, 
and right from day one just loved the loved the athletes that we were getting to work with and then to have them perform at the level that they did to qualify for the Olympic qualifier um, and then to go down to Brazil and do what this team did and, and qualify for the Olympics for the first time in history was just I mean, incredible. It was unbelievable what they were able to do. Um, between last summer and this year, we were able to um, get a couple WNBA players playing with us, the Sobley sisters, uh, Satu being a first-team all-WNBA this past season. So she's one of the best players in the world. And her sister, Niara, plays for the New York Liberty. So with those two additions, it um, it certainly took our team to another level. And uh, the returning athletes that we had from the summer, again, just um, I can't say enough about them. We put in a lot of work between uh, November and February to be the team that we wanted to be and to show up how we um, wanted to show up in this Olympic qualifier and knocked off, you know, the eight, eight and the tenth ranked teams um, in the world to be able to earn our spot in Paris. So it's um, it's been quite a ride. It's been thrilling, again, to be able to see and, and take a group of women to a place that they never even knew could be possible um, is highly rewarding. And, yeah, just looking forward to helping them get ready for Paris. I, I'm interested. Well, 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 what will it be like? You've experienced the Olympics before wearing the Canadian Maple Leaf, yeah. your home country. What, what, what will it be like wearing Germany colors, maybe oh, down the line yeah. playing the Canadian side? Well, yeah, the Olympic draw takes place in a few weeks, and I think it's probably we're probably destined to be in the same pool as Canada just because. Um, so that'll be weird, you know. It'll be it definitely it'll be strange putting on um, a different country's colors. Um, I'm sure in the village when we walk by Canada House, it'll be I'll be drawn to go in there instead of. Um, instead of the German apartments, but um, you know what? Like, like I said, I, I really love the athletes that we're working with. Um, they're kind of like throwbacks to some Canadian athletes. I would say like ten to fifteen years ago, um, and so it's been. Yeah, it'll be it'll be weird, but at the same time, like I'm all in with this group, and and we're a, we're a bonded group right now. We've been through a lot of stuff and done some incredible things, and and so we're we're gonna see what we can do. Well, Lisa, thanks for joining us uh, this afternoon. Uh, best of luck in Edmonton. Safe travels. And I know there's going to be a bunch of Husky Nation uh, following you down the highway to cheer you yeah. on in the final eight. Yeah, I sure hope so. That'll be fantastic. Thank you so much for the coverage. Really appreciate it. That is Lisa Tomitis, the uh, head coach of the women's basketball team, University of Saskatchewan Huskies, win another Canada West title, trying to win another bronze baby in the national championship. It begins next Thursday on the 7th, and we'll keep you up to date on how the Huskies women's basketball team are doing as they last won the national championship in 2020. More coming up here on the Green Zone this day in sports directly ahead. I don't think Corey Hirsch wants to talk about this one. Pretty sure this would be a day he doesn't want to remember uh, from 30 years ago. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Enbridge Farm remembers. On this day in sports, it was February 27th, 
1994 Canada-Sweden gold medal game. Sweden tied the game with a minute 49 left. It goes to overtime, and it goes to a shootout. Peter Nedved and Paul Correa open with two goals right off the hop. Boom, boom. Sweden does tie it. After five shooters, they just go one again and one again. Peter Nedved went up first. Canada missed. Sweden missed their next shot. Paul Correa went back out. He missed. Which led to this. The arm wrestling of pressure shifts back. The seventh shot taken in the shootout to try to decide goal. Peter Forsberg scored in the first round. He's cut off by the goaltender. Look at that reach. One hand on the stick and ushers the puck in behind Corey Hirsch. Yes, it's called the Forsberg. It happened on this day 30 years ago today was when Peter Forsberg scored the Forsberg. They recently put it on a stamp in Sweden. And the story of this stamp is interesting because if you look at it, you can tell that, wait a second, you have Peter Forsberg, his iconic golden blue jersey, number 21 Forsberg. There he is reaching back with his stick. But then you go, wait a second, the goalie is wearing like a gray, blue, red jersey. It's not Corey Hirsch. It's not the red and white that was being worn by Canada. Well, there's a story to that. For them to put Corey Hirsch on the stamp and anything that even replicated Corey Hirsch, they needed his permission. And Corey Hirsch said, not a chance. Are you putting me on a stamp on, like, that's Corey Hirsch. That's what we remember Corey Hirsch is being scored on by Peter Forsberg. He's like, I don't want that on a stamp. So they had to change the likeness of the goaltender that it had zero. It couldn't even be a red jersey. They had to change the color because Corey Hirsch said, no, you're not putting me on a stamp. Uh, But, yes, 30 years ago today, Peter Forsberg wins gold for Sweden in a shootout against Canada.